0: The Old Testament reading is Jeremiah chapter 4 verses 1 through 4 and this is the word of the Lord. If you return to or if you return, O Israel, declares the Lord, to me you should return. If you remove your detestable things from my presence and do not waver, and if you swear as the Lord lives in truth, in justice and in righteousness, then nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him shall they glory. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, and sow not among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Lest my wrath go forth like fire, and burn with none to quench it, because of the evil of your deeds. And now let's turn to Romans, Romans chapter 2, verses 17 through 29. And for those who are visiting uh, today, we are working our way through Paul's epistle to the Romans. And this morning, this is where we are. Romans chapter 2, verses 17 through 29. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For, as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law... "'Will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? "'Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law "'will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision, "'but break the law. "'For no one is a Jew who was merely one outwardly, "'nor is circumcision outward and physical. "'But a Jew is one inwardly, "'and circumcision is a matter of the heart.'" By the spirit, not by the letter, his praise is not from man, but from God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Yesterday, I went to the car wash to give my car a much needed bath. And I was shocked to find out uh, that I I needed actual coins uh, to pay for the vacuum Uh, Thankfully, there was a few dollars in the glove box, so I didn't have to go find uh, another car wash that uh, takes a credit card. Uh, But if you're like me, you've noticed that over the past several years, you probably find yourself uh, very rarely uh, carrying cash in your pocket. And you probably also find uh, yourself very rarely paying for anything uh, with cash. Uh, Just the way that uh, things are going. But if you are one of those few people who still prefer to use cash for all your purchases, you know that sometimes when you pay for something uh, with a larger bill, particularly a hundred dollar bill, you know that the clerk is going to check out your money uh, first before he takes it to make sure it is legitimate. Uh, He may hold it up in the light to see that the watermark is there. Uh, He may inspect a little 3D security strip on there. Uh, He might use that machine with a special light that somehow verifies that this uh, bill uh, is the real thing. It's not a counterfeit bill. And businesses do that, of course, because there is a lot of bad money out there. Uh, Bills that appear, at a glance at least, on the surface to be authentic, uh, turn out to be counterfeits. And in a similar way, there is also a lot of bad religion out there. Uh, people who have convinced themselves and tell others that they are Christians, who in fact are not, uh, like a counterfeit bill. They are uh, their Christianity is not the real deal. It only appears that way on the surface. And in our passage this morning is the Apostle Paul. As he continues to speak to the unbelieving Jews in his day, he sets forth certain marks or characteristics by which we may examine our own Christianity to see whether or not it is the genuine article, it, if, it is the, if it is true Christian faith. So Paul gives us here three, authentic, or three marks of authentic Christianity. Uh, he does so either by explicit teaching or by inference from what he says. And those three marks of authentic, genuine Christianity are integrity, humility, and hope. So first, authentic Christianity is marked by integrity, integrity. Now, just to review uh, what is happening here in this uh, section of Romans, uh, Paul's concern here, and it has been his concern uh, from the beginning of chapter 2, is uh, to address uh, the Jews in his day. Of course, Paul himself was a Jew, so he's addressing his own people, um, specifically those of the Jews who did not receive or did not believe in Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ. And his burden here in this chapter is to declare to the Jewish people that they too along with the Gentiles, are in desperate need of the salvation that Jesus Christ came to accomplish for sinners. And so while these verses are not directly addressed to Christians, what Paul has to say about the Jews in his day contains lessons for us as Christians today. And so as we've done the last couple of weeks, uh, we'll consider first what the apostle had to say to the Jewish people in his time, and we'll see how that applies to us as Christians in our time. So at the beginning of chapter 2, if you remember, Paul accused the Jews of um, rank hypocrisy because they were condemning the Gentiles of committing these various sins, but Paul says, you yourselves practice the very same things. And so you condemn yourself when you're condemning uh, the Gentiles. And now at beginning in verse 17. Paul expands on that charge. Uh, He details the specific ways in which the Jews were guilty of hypocrisy. And I'll just read verses 17 through 20. He says, But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. And we'll stop there. And so Paul first uh, enumerates, or he lists, many of uh, the privileges or the advantages that the Jews had by nature because they were God's people. So everything that Paul says here about the Jewish people in these verses, 17 through 20, these things in themselves they were very positive and very praiseworthy. Uh, It was and it is a tremendous privilege to be Jewish, to be a physical descendant of Abraham because the people of Israel were God's covenant people. They were God's chosen people through whom the Christ would come into the world. Uh, Later in Romans, uh, Paul explicitly extols all of the privileges that belong to the people of Israel. In chapter 4, or chapter 9, verse 4, he says, They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. And so in principle, then, there was nothing wrong for a Jew to call himself a Jew. That is to say that he was a member of God's covenant people. In principle, there was nothing wrong about that. Uh, In the same way, in principle, uh, the Jews could rely on the law in the sense that... Their worship, their service, their knowledge of God was based on the revelation that God gave to them in the Scriptures. And they could boast in God. In fact, they were supposed to boast in God. That was at the very heart of the old uh, old covenant faith, that their glory was in the Lord. Isaiah 45, 25, in the Lord, all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory And in the law, that is in the written oracles of God, the Jews did in fact possess what they said that they possessed, that is the embodiment of knowledge and truth. And so the Jewish people could have been, they should have been, true guides to the blind, light to those who are in darkness, the instructor of the foolish, and so on. And so what Paul is talking about here in these first few verses in our passage is that unique calling, that wonderful privilege that the Lord gave to the people of Israel, that through his people, the knowledge of God, the worship of God was to spread to the nations of the world because of their faith, because of their obedience, because of their worship of the true God. The prayer of the people of Israel in Psalm 67 was just this prayer. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. And so in verses 17 through 20, Paul is not somehow mocking Jewish pretensions, but he is acknowledging the real blessings that fell to the people of Israel because of who they were as the chosen people, the covenant people of God. However, however... All of this, all of these privileges, because of the sin, because of the unbelief of the Jewish people, they became meaningless. In fact, these very privileges that should have been the glory of the Jewish people only contributed to their condemnation. And that's because of their hypocrisy, which Paul is at pains here to to, to expose uh, to his people. Paul says in verse 21, You then who teach others So here's the kicker You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? Do you not preach to yourself? So Paul is saying, Oh, you sons of Abraham, my fellow Jews, you are guilty of the very sins that you warn other people about. You open your Bibles and you presume to teach others, you say, Thou shalt not steal, and yet you are thieves. You say, thou shalt not commit adultery, and yet you are adulterers. You say, thou shalt have no other gods before me, and yet you are idolaters. You rob temples. By the way, it's not clear what exactly is meant by they're robbing temples, but whatever it it meant, the point is, is that they were guilty of the very idolatry that they professed to abhor. And so Paul sums it all up in verse 23. He says, you who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. Again, he says to the people, the people of the Jews, the unbelieving Jews, he says, you are convinced that because you possess the law and boast of the law, that therefore you are honoring God with your service and worship. But the truth is, because you are hypocrites... Because you do not keep the law yourselves, but in fact you break the law, therefore you are not honoring God, but you are bringing dishonor and disgrace to the Lord. And not only that, but by your hypocrisy and sin and unbelief, you are doing the very opposite of what you were called to do as God's people. Rather than causing the name of the Lord to be praised and adored among the nations, The result of your hypocrisy and sin is this, is that you are causing God's name to be blasphemed among the nations. Verse 24, for as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed because of you. And so in this way, Paul exposed the hypocrisy of the Jews in his day. And of course, Paul's aim was always redemptive. And so for those who had ears to hear indirectly at least, What Paul was doing was showing them how much they needed the grace of God, the grace of God that was revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. As for us today as Christians, uh, we bear the name of God in the world. In fact, in a quite literal way, uh, we bear God's name because we are called Christians. Um, Now, technically, Christ is not the name of Jesus. His name is Jesus. Christ is his title, but essentially Christ is his name, and that's the name that we bear. We are called by his name, Christians. And this is the name of the Son of God. This is the name of Almighty God who became flesh, who became man, who is Jesus. And based on what Paul says here about the Jews and their hypocrisy, we can say this, that our Christianity is authentic Christianity only insofar as we bear the name of Jesus Christ with integrity. With integrity. Uh, Integrity is the opposite of hypocrisy. Uh, Something that has integrity, uh, it is whole, it is undivided it truly is throughout what it appears to be. Uh, Sometimes baseball players uh, will cheat uh, by taking their bats and uh, carving out a cavity in their bat, and then they stuff that cavity with cork, and then they uh, put the, they, 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 they fix the bat so it looks, from the outside, it looks okay. And with a corked bat, a baseball player can hit the ball much farther, much harder, And if you were to look at the bat that was corked from the outside, it would appear to be solid wood throughout. But if you could open up the bat, you would find that it's part wood and part cork. It lacks integrity. And of course, the the players that use a cork bat lack integrity as well. But to be a Christian with integrity means that there is no glaring contrast between the faith that you profess and how you live. Now, we are all sinners. None of us lives as we are called to live, as the people of God. We all stumble in many ways, as James says. And so integrity does not mean sinlessness or perfection. But it means that there is, a, there is an essential consistency to every part of your life. It means that there is a sameness of character in every aspect of your life. It means that you are basically the same person at home as you are at church. You are basically the same person in private as you are in public. It means that if someone could examine the entirety of your life, if someone could see not only your actions, but hear your words and even hear your thoughts, they would say of you, you must really believe Christianity. You must really believe the Christian faith. Because you really do practice what you preach. We're living in a world today in which Christ is becoming just as foreign and unknown to uh, the majority or the, perhaps the vast majority of people in the general population today, just as uh, the name of Christ and the gospel was very foreign and unknown to the people in Paul's day. And if there's one sin that the world can sniff out a mile away, it is hypocrisy, especially religious hypocrisy. And the world is all too happy to confirm their rejection of the gospel, their dismissal of the gospel on the basis of what they see as hypocrisy in the life of a Christian. And So the challenge in these verses to us today is this. Do our lives as Christians line up with what we profess to be true of Jesus? You profess as a Christian that Jesus has saved you from your sin. You profess that the Holy Spirit abides in you, that you are a new creature in Christ. And the question is, does does your life reflect that? You profess that you are a disciple of Jesus as a Christian. Are you following him in a path of righteousness, self-denial, bearing the cross? And so the first mark of authentic Christianity is integrity. Authentic Christianity is also marked by by humility, by humility. After Paul demonstrates to the Jews in his day that their profession of, their preaching of uh, the law was no advantage to them because of their hypocrisy, he then turns his attention to that covenant sign that was a point of such pride on the part of the Jews, and that was their circumcision. And here now, the Apostle Paul is really going for the jugular because if even circumcision is of no advantage to the Jew, then where else can they turn? And so as the unbelieving Jew who might be hearing what Paul said here about the hypocrisy uh, of the Jewish people and breaking the commandments that they preach to others, uh, that unbelieving Jew might say to Paul, Well, no matter what you say about our failure to keep the law of God, there is one thing that you can never take away from us. And that is this, that unlike the heathen Gentiles, we bear on our body the mark of God's covenant promises to us as his people. We are circumcised. And in that, we have the guarantee of the blessing of God upon us. And Paul says to that person, he says, well, what about Let's talk about that. What about your circumcision? Do you not realize, he says, do you not realize that if you do not keep the law, and by the way, when Paul speaks here about keeping the law, he's not talking about perfect law-keeping, perfect, flawless obedience to the law, but he's, he's talking about a kind of law-keeping that is the fruit of faith, that is the result of God's grace, a changed heart. But he says to the Jews, if you do not keep the commandments of God, if you do not obey the law of God, then your circumcision becomes meaningless. It is as if you were uncircumcised. In fact, you might as well be uncircumcised. He says in verse 25, for circumcision is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. And then in verses 26 and 27, Paul sets forth the example. The example of an uncircumcised Gentile who, by the grace of God, because he is a believer in Jesus Christ, does in fact keep God's law. Not perfectly, but but truly. And because this Gentile has come to faith in Christ, because he has the spirit of God abiding in him and working in him, therefore he does, not perfectly, but he does keep God's commandments. And therefore, because he keeps the law, he is the one who is truly circumcised, this uncircumcised Gentile, he is the one who is truly circumcised, even though physically he is not. And so verse 26, the apostle says, So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? And Paul goes on to say to the unbelieving Jew, not only that, but because this uncircumcised Gentile Christian actually does keep the law, Whereas you, the circumcised Jew, break the law, his example of keeping the law as someone who is uncircumcised will actually contribute to your condemnation on the day of judgment. Verse 27, Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. So Paul is saying to the unbelieving Jew in his day, Do not put your hope in the fact that you are circumcised. Even though this sign of God's covenant promises was a wonderful thing that he gave to our people, if you do not keep God's covenant by obeying the law, your circumcision is absolutely worthless. It might as well be uncircumcision. It is nothing more than a mere mark on your body. And that's all it is. If it does not join with true faith in the Lord that results in obedience. And then in verses 28 and 29, Paul lays down the principle according to which everything that he has said so far about circumcision and uncircumcision is true. And that is that true godliness, true righteousness, true knowledge and worship of God, the hope of eternal life, that these things are not a result of what is external, like being Jewish or being circumcised or having the law of God or keeping some. Uh, external form of the law of God, but rather these things, true godliness, true righteousness, knowing God, worshiping God, having the hope of eternal life, these things are the result of an inward spiritual reality, namely, a new heart. A new heart that has been given to us by the grace of God, by the Holy Spirit of Christ. Verses 28 and 29, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. Now, the Apostle Paul is, in fact, here as he says these things, although surely they would have been shocking to the Jewish person who heard them, he is not saying anything that hasn't already been said because we have heard already from the prophet Jeremiah and along with other prophets The Lord, through them, called his people to circumcise their hearts. Of course, they were to be physically circumcised, but there was to be a corresponding inward spiritual reality. They were to circumcise their hearts. In other words, the Lord said to his people just as you bear that physical mark in your body that shows that you have been separated from the world and that you belong to the Lord, so in the same way, separate yourself. From sin and impurity by circumcising your heart. That you may belong to God in the truest sense. And it has always been this way. The true knowledge and worship of God. Ultimately, has always been a matter of the heart. A pastor once said it in a way that is very, very memorable. He said, the, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And this is because our sin comes from within us. We are not sinful because we have been tainted by things outside of us, but we are sinful because our hearts are spiritually and morally corrupt. They produce all manner of wickedness and evil, as Jesus taught us. Our heart is the very core of our being, and it is evil, it is corrupt. We are incapable of producing anything good or righteous in the sight of God. And therefore, if we are to know God, if we are to have any communion or fellowship with the Lord, if we are to have any blessedness in Him, if we are to have the hope of eternal life, then we must be transformed from within. There must be a change that takes place in our hearts. It's not enough to reform our lives, it's not enough to overcome bad habits. It's not enough to try to become a better person. It's not enough even to become religiously Christian. If our heart is not right with God, then our whole persons will not be right with God. No matter how moral, no matter how devout, no matter how religious or how many good works we may do. We can only be saved from sin and death if God in his grace does a supernatural work of change within us. If he causes us to be born again, to be regenerated, if he circumcises our hearts, if he makes us alive again with Christ. That is the only hope we have of salvation. And along with this contrast that Paul makes here, so he, he contrasts uh, external, outward religion that is powerless, that cannot save. He contrasts that with that inward spiritual transformation that the spirit of Christ does for his people that truly does save. And along with that contrast, there is also a corresponding contrast between two different mindsets or two different attitudes. The unbelieving Jew that Paul is describing here, that he's talking to, the one whose religion was only external, That is, he was circumcised. He was a son of Abraham. He possessed the law, and in his mind at least, in some sense, he kept the law. But for that person, his boast or his pride was in his heritage, or what he did. His performance. His obedience. And because he thought that true godliness was found in these things that are external, therefore, he could look down on others with contempt Who did not have these things. And so he's filled with pride. Now, Paul doesn't say this, but this is exactly the picture that we get from the scriptures of the Jews in Paul's day the Pharisees, the scribes, the lawyers. They were proud, proud men. And they were proud because they had possessed a righteousness that they had attained by their own efforts. They had made themselves better than others in their minds. And their attitude is epitomized or demonstrated by the prayer of the Pharisee in the temple in Luke's gospel. He says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. The self righteous person is always going to be filled with spiritual pride. It has to be that way. He cannot help it because in, in his mind, he has made himself better by what he has done. And therefore, he will be proud. But what a different picture that we get when we, when we draw out from what Paul is saying here, when we hear this description of The true believer, the one who has been changed by the spirit of God from within, the one who has a heart transformation. His attitude will be far different from the proud Pharisee because he knows that he has nothing external to hope in. The Gentile that Paul is describing here, he knows he is not a Jew. He knows that he does not have the law. He knows that he has no claim to be part of God's covenant people. And before he knew Christ, he certainly knew or he certainly knows that he did not keep the law of God. But by the grace of God, he was transformed from within. He was given a new heart, and part of that transformation from within was his coming to realize by God's grace that inwardly he was corrupt. He was sinful. He was impure. He needed to be renewed, changed from inside. He knew it needed to be forgiven and to be set free from the bondage of sin. This is the person that Paul is describing here. He will be humble. Authentic Christianity is marked by a profound humility, a humble and meek spirit. As a Christian, I know that there is nothing about me externally. There was nothing that I did. There was nothing about my heritage that would give me any claim or right to have God's favor or blessing. And not only that, but I know as a Christian now that there was nothing in me that was truly good or righteous. There was nothing that I could bring to God that he would approve of. There was nothing in me, by the grace of God, I came to see, but corruption, self-love, impurity, law-breaking. And every Christian has the same testimony. By the grace of God, I came to see that I needed forgiveness. I needed to be changed from within. And so what makes you a Christian is not not that you grew up in the church. That does not make you a Christian. The fact that you are baptized does not make you a Christian. The fact that you belong to a church in itself does not make you a Christian. Even the fact that you have lived a morally upright life does not make you a Christian. But what makes you a Christian is that you have come to see that you are a sinner in desperate need of grace and forgiveness. And that you have come to Jesus Christ by faith with only your sin and need to give to him. And he gave you a new life. He gave you a new heart. He gave you new hope. I suppose there are two ways that a person can become a Christian, at least in name. One way is you can take on Christianity as a mere religion. You can join a church. You can abide by uh, the teaching of the church, at least as far as others can see you. Or the second way is you can come to the living person, to the living person of the Son of God, the resurrected Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of the Father who welcomes every sinner who comes to him humbly by faith, seeking his forgiveness, and who gives to that sinner not only forgiveness and new life, but a communion, a fellowship, a true relation with him and be filled with his life and his peace. The first way is counterfeit Christianity, and it is always marked by pride. The second way is authentic, true Christianity. Because of the very nature of it, it is always marked by humility. So thirdly, authentic Christianity is marked by hope. Uh, The final thing that Paul says here um, to describe the person who is a true Jew, that is a person who has truly come uh, to, to, to God by faith in Christ. He says in verse 29 that his praise is not from man, but from God. You remember that description that Jesus gave when he taught his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, that description that he gave of the Pharisees and of the piety of uh, the, the devotion of the Pharisees, how everything that they did was in order to gain the approval, the attention, the praise of men. And so Jesus says that they gave uh, when they gave their offerings, the Pharisees would sound a trumpet so that everybody would know that they're giving to the kingdom. Uh, when the Pharisees prayed, they did not go into a secret place to pray where no one could see them, see them but they stood on street corners. They prayed in the synagogues so that they could put on a show. Everyone would, would see how pious they are. Jesus says they fasted with gloomy faces, disfigured, so that others would see how, how devoted they were to the Lord, fasting. But the problem for those Pharisees is this, that on the day of judgment, all those people who were so impressed with their devotion and piety... They will not be their judges, but God will be their judge. And God sees what's in the heart. He's not impressed by mere outward expressions of religion, but he looks on the heart. And Paul is saying here to the unbelieving Jews, your praise is only from man. And unless you repent, God will be your judge and he will condemn you. Or your hypocrisy, your pride, your sin and unbelief. But he's also saying to you and me as believers in Jesus Christ. He's saying your praise may not be from man. In fact, what you may receive and probably do receive from other people in this world is not praise. But mockery, scorn, contempt. Because of your hope and faith in Christ. But, but. Other people will not be your judge. God will. God will. He knows the hearts of those whom he has redeemed. He looks upon the hearts. And on the day of judgment, your praise will be from the one whose approval is the only thing that matters. The only person, the only one whose praise matters is the Lord. And his praise will be your salvation. And so the marks of authentic Christianity are integrity humility, and hope. Let's pray.